Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With us today, we have Michael Snydell. Hello, I am here and still inside. <laughs> also have Bill Graham. Hello. And a special guest with us today to talk about Baccarat, I believe I said that right, is Monica Castillo. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for joining us. Um, I usually at this point say like, how are you? How's it going? And um, <laughs> I know that that is presently a complicated question. So we will all do our weekly coronavirus update uh, right after I speed through all the normal stuff that we do. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Film State Show, Facebook, The Film State Show. Give us a comment and a rating on iTunes. Email us, podcast, thefilmstage.com. You can become a patron of this here podcast by going to patreon.com slash thefilmstageshow. Uh, we are also brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. If you are under a state-mandated stay-at-home order or simply trying to self-quarantine to be a good citizen, what better gift to give to yourself to help you through those long days staring at your walls than Mubi? The streaming service where every day their curators bring you a brand new film to watch and enjoy. You have 30 days to check out the film. You can download it to watch it in a different room of your house. <laughs> you can stream it on your smart TV or Roku. Uh, they've got a really interesting movie that they just popped up today. Uh, it's Southland Tales from director Richard Kelly. Has anyone I'm, actually I've seen this I've never movie? seen this one. I, I do want to see it, though. All right. Um, so anyone who doesn't know Richard Kelly, he's the dude who did Donnie Darko. This was a very anticipated movie, has a really eclectic cast. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Sean William Scott, Sarah Michelle Geller, Moby apparently did the music. Um, here's Justin the synopsis. Timberlake. Yeah, Justin Timberlake <laughs> is also in there. So here's the synopsis. <laughs> With the U.S. under the threat of nuclear attack, several people's lives converge. Movie star Boxer plans his next film with the help of porn actress Krista and policeman Roland. Meanwhile, Marxist revolutionaries, corporations, and government agencies pursue their agendas among a paranoid populace. This is a movie that came out. It was highly anticipated, and it is one of those oddities that I keep meaning to see but never have. And now is the perfect time. So if you would also like to check out Southland Tales or any of the other 29 movies that are presently on Mubi, all you got to do is go to mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial. Who knows? Maybe by the time the free trial is over, you will be allowed to leave your house. So here we are. Uh, you know, it's time to once again, just talk about the elephant that is still in all of our rooms. 
and see how everyone's doing with this whole coronavirus thing. Uh, what major updates have happened since the last time we talked? Uh, my state is now under a mandatory stay-at-home order with many legal penalties in place. The CDC has uh, advised that anyone who goes out in any public space wear a mask now. And um, I think Trump Which finally they- said, like, hey, yeah, we might lose 200,000 people. Um, <laughs> what were you going to say, Monica? Which state? Oh, oh, which state? Uh, which state? Uh, I am in Maryland. Oh, okay. Yes. We all knew do it was you have coming. Documentation now, Brian, as an essential business. I do. Yes. So I put my letter from uh, my friend Arthur, who owns the distillery, in my glove compartment. So should I ever get pulled over, uh, I will be able to produce that. It is hilarious, though. There are still so many goddamn people out. <laughs> mm. It's uh, I'm driving and like anytime I hit even the smallest amount of traffic, like even if I'm four people back from the red light, I'm like, what are you people doing out here? (sighs) But yes. Uh, So Monica, how are things where you are? How have you been holding up? Well, I'm in New York, so (laughs) uh, it's kind of bleak. Not going to lie. I haven't really gone outside much. I also fall in the uh, high risk category. So it's even like less incentive for me to go out. Uh, so I'm kind of just trying to hunker down and figure things out. Uh, Cause in the freelancing space and in just the whole general covering movies, the business of covering movies has uh, really taken a turn. Uh, it's really, you know, things are shuffling, things are moving. Um, day- that movies were going to open are now going to be later or maybe they're right now maybe they're already on VOD and I just don't know it Uh, so it's really really interesting but also you know frightening outside right because we this everything sort of came to a head for us realizing like how much this was going to affect us when like I don't know like two or three weeks ago we were like supposed to do this very episode yeah (laughs) and everyone was just suddenly like why though (laughs) why are we doing this like had no energy (laughs) yeah man uh, here we are yeah all the bad news yeah caught up with us oh my god um yeah as far as uh as far as my life uh still hanging out still working from home five days a week one of the blessed people who are, are able to continue their life slightly as normal uh work in the distillery uh, just uh, making hand sanitizer for people who need it. Trying to find spray bottle caps. Is that still the hardest thing to find? It still is the hardest thing to find. Uh, we we should have a shipment coming to us, but now we have to, you know, pray that the people that we found who said they had some weren't just trying to steal our money. But we'll know tomorrow. Uh, and if they do <laughs> deliver the spray bottle tops, I will shout them out for free on this podcast because they are literally the only place that seemed to have any. And uh, they were really good about making sure that we were able to buy some. As long as Where we are they coming from? They were being flown in from uh, China, they said. And uh, they should oh, have wow. landed last Thursday. Well, this is this is the insane problem is that a lot of stuff that we use, guys, comes from asia i don't know if you all were aware of that um and so it, the the dominoes fell as such that a lot of those factories shut down or limited their production and sure. then it came here and all of the things that we needed suddenly got bought and so not only don't we have it because there's a greater demand than we were expecting 
but we also can't get it because the production shut down. Uh, so it's uh, it's complicated, and um, I'm not gonna lie, it's it's there are moments when it just becomes annoying, <laughs> <laughs> and it's hard to even look at it as like a grand scale. Like, what does this mean for society and globalization? And oh, what about American manufacturing jobs? Maybe we should bring those back. And it's just like, why can't I find a goddamn spray bottle top? <laughs> Uh, priorities i know um but I'm, i realize that i am lucky in, insofar as i can do things that uh, appear to be like useful and helpful and i have the luxury of being annoyed about things like that <laughs> um michael snydell how's your life in uh in chicago you know it's it's all right i got i got laid off or earlier this week from my day job so i'm not like panicking or anything but it's just weird uh, I told Brian about this, Mike, and I can't help but say it here because it was so bleak. So immediately after I got laid off, I got in touch with a hiring agency who helped me find that job. And that person got laid off <laughs> this week. <laughs> so the person who was supposed to find me a job got laid off. And then I got contacted from someone else from that agency being like, we'd still love to help you. And, you couldn't uh, even help I'm, your I'm own I'm a little man. worried about <laughs> I was a little worried about uh, going at that hiring agency. So that aside, we did find toilet paper recently. Uh, we're not like stockpiling it or anything like assholes, but we did find some extra toilet paper. So that was good. Uh, our grocery stores are a little, they're a little weird. And, you know, I, I can't tell whether this is just my bubble, but you guys get the sense that things really escalated in even the past five days. Like, just uh, a mood changed. Oh, see, in New York, things have been escalated for a while. So I, for, for the past several weeks, there's entire shelves at the closest pharmacy that I have to go to that are just like, there's nothing. It's I've never seen shelves that clean, even in Cuba. You know, there's just no cold medicine. There's no certain supplies. Yeah. Uh, my roommate and I were, were trying to, like, brainstorm where to find flour because there is no flour in any of the stores that we checked. Jeez. Did I did I say like, you know, I think it was like two or three weeks ago when when stuff really started getting bad and people were like, uh oh, we're running out of things. I went to the grocery store and uh, I took a picture of like the entirely empty like meat refrigeration section. And I uh -huh. sent it to my parents and I said, uh, oh, suddenly everyone knows how to cook. And my brother <laughs> responded like, maybe we won't have that many coronavirus deaths, but, you know, salmonella poisoning is going to go through <laughs> the roof. <laughs> Because all these people who used to just like go out and eat all the time are suddenly like, I can braise a pork shoulder, right? I can do that. <laughs> Sous vide, I just have to put it in a Ziploc bag and put it in water for four hours. That's, I feel like I can do that. I think you're giving them too much credit. I, I, I think they could get salmonella from eggs, let alone chicken. <laughs> oh, jeez. Finally, Bill Graham, how's uh, Dallas? Um. We're doing okay, I guess. I mean, we just got extended out to May 20th. And so, you know, um, on the uh, gym side, uh, that's kind of chaotic because now it's like, okay, what are people supposed to do? Um, and as far as like my full-time job, uh, we're just kind of cruising along doing, doing a lot more training and stuff like that off, off site. But, um, 
don't know. It's I think the extension to May 20th has a lot of people starting to realize like, oh shit, this isn't going away. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, I think a lot of people, when, when we first got into it, it was kind of a joke. It was kind of like, ah, (laughs) all right, I'm going to go grab some toilet paper and and get a, uh, what is it? A a bidet. And, uh, (laughs) you know, everything's, everything's nice and, and cushy. And, you know, a month and a half later, you're like, Oh fuck. Like I, I have to rearrange my entire life schedule and kind of figure out like what to do, how to entertain myself. Um, you know, it's one of those things where I'm, I'm so lucky that like, I, I love my fiance and we get along really well. Um, because (laughs) if that is not the case, um, you know, it's uh yeah i, I see some dicey. definite cor- oh yeah i see de- <laughs> definite quarantine divorces happening out out of this where it's just like oh oh so that's, oh, that's why i'm so lucky that uh <laughs> that my ex walked out on my daughter and i way before this ever happened <laughs> yeah. yeah um i have a weird amount of friends who are moving <laughs> and they're just oh, like bad no. Right, they'd all been like, "Oh, a good April move will be like be the thing for me." And then like the the stay at home order happened. And it's like, so can you still move? Uh, I don't know, but yes, we're going to anyway. Yeah. Oh yeah, like yeah, you gotta Zillow's, get out of this place that we no longer own. Um, <laughs> Zillow's still buying and selling, or not buying anymore, but um, we're still under operation on several homes. But yeah, we still have a ton of assets, and so you know we're pushing positioning it what we're doing is actually we're uh transforming over into having like a 3d tour so you can basically like pinch and zoom and walk around the entire home um and we're Hmm. setting up like real estate agents and uh home sellers to be able to utilize uh that kind of technology inside their own home so like even if you're not selling it through zillow um or you know uh selling it to us uh, we still want to be part of that kind of transaction process. And so we're just like, yeah, we'll, we'll give you this free app and let you do a, a 3d home tour of your own home. And then other people can kind of come in, but yeah, it's, it's a weird thing because I didn't like, I was like, who is buying houses right now? That seems like such a bad time, but you yeah. know, Brian, I think, I think you've said it and, you know, I don't necessarily always agree with it, but at some point people will just start continuing to live their lives, like mm-hmm. no matter kind of how many hurdles you put in front of them. And oh, so yeah. in that way, it's like we were planning to move for three years. We found our house, like, fuck this, we're still moving. And it's just like, okay, <laughs> here's here's how we do this and everything's digital. So, you know. Yeah. It's it's definitely possible. It's just it's strange. It's very strange. I feel yeah. like you can't stop the momentum at a certain point when it comes to moving, though. Like it, you know, depending it's on so how hard. hard. I was about yeah. to say, if you already have the contracts in place, it makes sense to me. I don't know who's right now. Like, oh, you know, I've always wanted to live in the Bay Area. <laughs> you know, just still looking yeah. for a house. That seems a little weird to me. It was. Yeah, I will sure. say that one of the funniest sure. things about this whole situation. It's just that, like, you see the movies where, like, bad shit's going down, and the the politicians are always, like, very stern, very, like, forthright. I remember watching Hogan's address, and he seemed like a father 
who was very disappointed that it had gotten to this point with his teenage child. Is he, a, is he the governor? Right, yeah, Brian? he's the governor of Maryland. And okay. his, his speech basically boiled down to, we talked about this. You promised you would stay inside, but you broke my trust. And now I'm taking your car keys. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yes. Uh, so I, that's I, not I'm sorry. I go think ahead, it was Mike. the Kentucky governor who who was like upset about the fact that one guy got it in his state because of the of a coronavirus party, oh and he just kind of like looks at the camera and is like, "Really?" <laughs> <laughs> there was a, I think that's there the was, saddest I've seen a governor. <laughs> there was like a mayor or something, and it was on Facebook, and he wrote he wrote a Facebook post like from his official like "I am the mayor of this town" Facebook account. And it said, listen up, dipshits. <laughs> I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. <laughs> that was yeah. definitely Hogan. But it was also like you could definitely tell he was mad. Um, all, the, all the videos of the Italian mayors and uh, local officials who are just like angry and screaming at the camera to, to make people stay. It's, it was a great viral video a few um, weeks ago. <laughs> As the uh, as the 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 grandson and son of the two Italian women, I can only imagine how terrifying that was. <laughs> I'll have to find it for you. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I, are, I saw that one. It's a good we're one. We're here <laughs> today not to just talk about the coronavirus. So <laughs> clearly, it is a rich topic. Group therapy. This is group therapy. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, and you, you, it's definitely group therapy because there is a good five minute chunk that is missing from this. <laughs> <laughs> That's always my like least favorite thing that a podcast does is when they're like, oh, we, we're going to talk about that off mic or, oh, we're, we have to cut this and like just letting the audience know that they're missing something. And I'm doing it now. You guys are missing a shit ton. <laughs> just make the cut as aggressive as possible. <laughs> just in the middle of a word. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to I'm not going to cut it out. I'm going to replace the entire segment with a horrible white noise. <laughs> Just a record scratch. Just to really drive home. <laughs> Five minutes of... <laughs> anyway. We are here to review the movie we were going to review a couple weeks ago, and that is Baccarat. Um, This is a new film from directors Giuliano Dornels and Kleber Mon... <laughs> Damn it, we had like a whole conversation. <laughs> Go ahead. You, you gotta you gotta steamroll through, Brian. Giuliano Dornelis and Kleber Mendunca Filho. <laughs> Who wants to correct me? I mean, uh. <laughs> <laughs> they are also the writers, and uh, the movie stars a number of people. I'm gonna stick with two. There's Sonia Braga and Udo Kier. And if you are anything like me. You hear those names and you go, I'm in. I don't even care what it's about. Absolutely. Uh, and here, on that note, for the people who do care what it's about, is the trailer. Oh, 
That is a hilarious joke that I just played on everyone because yes, the trailer is in a foreign language. I'm I'm gonna say this movie is best gone into knowing as little as possible. Um we will as usual have our spoiler section. Um I, I think I'll I'll just describe this by saying that the movie is about a town that undergoes a series of escalatingly strange and isolating events until the horrible truth is known and they have to come together to defend themselves. Um, now that's, that's actually funny that I was able to come up with that because I remember when I was looking for this movie, I found like four different super disparate (laughs) synopses for this. One of which talked about like a documentary crew and that's not at all what this, uh, this movie is about. Yeah. So like I'm watching this movie and I'm like, I don't know. Even a documentary crew. I don't, know. I don't know. It was weird. There is a lot going on in this movie. I'll, I'll give, like, I understand why, you know, three people might go in and come out with different interpretations or, like, this is what it's about because it's about a lot. Right. But like, I don't need the I don't think themes. the documentary crew is about it. <laughs> I don't need, like, yeah. the themes spelled out. Like, when I ask someone, like, what's Moby Dick about, I don't need them to tell me, like, social and capitalistic mores of like you know the 1800s america just be like it's about a guy who really wants to kill a whale it's like oh okay at least now i have a hook with which to understand oh a hook huh well you know more like a harpoon yeah sure it's not a fish michael you can't just use it I'm not about to explain whaling um so here we are uh giving our uh spoiler free reviews of Baccarat, uh, we will of course begin with our guest Monica. What did you think of Baccarat? Oh my goodness, I love this movie. It's so gonzo. You think it's going to be about one thing, and it leads you to you know it opens up first with the funeral of a granddaughter coming back for her grandmother's funeral, and then all all these different relationships start opening up, and you start seeing the town in its kind of fullness. And it's not just about one person. It's about all the different people that make up this town, that uh, Bakurao. And then there's this new thing that comes in and completely switches the tone and the direction of the story. And it is just so amazing. And I love that it all works together so nicely. All right. Michael Snydell. Um, so I really love 80% of this movie <laughs> and I can oh. talk about what that means, um, in what I'll say now is I think that the fictional town of Baccarat, yeah, I, I looked this up. Yes. The fictional town of Baccarat, which seems like it's based on a, a number of, kind of allegorical understandings of different parts of Brazil, as well as uh, geographically, it's apparently in a town called uh, Barras, I think. Um, Either way, though, like, I think that the community of Baccarat and the way that this film evolves the different relationships and the ways that they uh, come together... I, I'm picking my words very carefully here, as you can tell. Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of the characters in this are excellent, and I really love a lot of this movie. All right. Bill Graham. <laughs> I was waiting, waiting for the butt. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm mostly going to 
see how this kind of conversation develops and see what I can get out of this. Because to be honest with you, um, I didn't enjoy this movie that much. Um, That being said, I definitely understand where it, like what it's kind of going for. Um, These movies are always tricky when they are a little gonzo and are a little bit over the top because I can never tell what I'm getting into until uh, I've already gotten so far into it that, I'm like, wait, so is all my initial impression like bullshit or am I, was I supposed to just be laughing at like it's absurdity? And so like there's, there's, I guess I'll I'll talk about this one small minor detail. Um, They, there are a group of people that use a surveillance drone that is dressed up as a UFO. And I, uh, in the middle of the film, I looked at that and I was like, this is a fucking weird ass thing that's happening right now. And I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be silly. So supposed to be serious. And then like someone even mentions like that, uh, there was a UFO following me. And I was just like, I, I give up. I don't know what this movie's going for. I'm not sure. Um, some of that is kind of lost in translation, unfortunately. Um, so I just wasn't really on this film's wavelength until the very end. And by the end, I was so fully checked out that I was just like, Oh, I really don't like what this movie's doing. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's an interesting experience because, um, this one came in with kind of <laughs> our benevolent Lord and master as, uh, as Brian likes to call him, Jordan, uh, was, you know, hyping this movie up and I sat there, I've watched it and I was like, Ooh, I'm, I'm not into this. So that being said, I definitely get a sense of like what they're trying to do and what they're trying to say. Um, and you know, I can commend them on that kind of stuff i think i think maybe potentially they bit off more than they could uh pull off but that being said it's clear that other people have had very very positive responses to this film so i don't know like i i think this will be an interesting conversation moving forward because um i got some questions and uh (laughs) definitely having seen the hunt uh like two weeks ago or a week ago, I, I I've <laughs> stopped being able to. Time is meaningless. Yes, I, I don't like, and I even have like a Monday through Friday job, but like even still, like I'm just like, what fucking day is it? I do not know. Um, yeah, so it's a it's a, it's a weird it's a weird uh, time to have have Baccarat and and the hunt both released right around the same time. That's, uh, that's some weird ass shit. Um, but yeah, I, I look forward to having this conversation. Yeah. This movie was kind of selected because we didn't know what the hell else to do. Um, we, the hunt was coming out and, uh, Jordan said like the hunt is, is awful. Baccarat is similar and better. I really wanted to see this. I, I want to say I'm a big fan of the director's previous previous film, uh, Aquarius, which is on Netflix. I and just want to put it in a quick... What are the names of those directors again, Michael? Uh, yeah, yeah, well, it's actually only uh, Kleber, Mendonca, Fio. Fio? Uh, I, I'm going for Spanish pronunciation. I don't know Portuguese pronunciation, so apologies, but... 
Yeah. No, this is something I want to see. I just <laughs> want to put that out there. And again, I had no idea what this movie was to the point where I was misled by many different online synopsises. <laughs> Um, so yeah, when I, I remember watching this movie and, um, I had no, I, I again, I was, I had been so confused by everything that I tried to find out about it that at some point I was just like, I just gotta let this wash over me, which is probably what I should have done in the first place. I actually, I quite enjoyed it. I, um, I was deeply confused. I feel like I missed every iota of a uh, specific social commentary, but that I got the general gist of it. Um, I feel as though. This is the type of film where I you can like kind of begin to pick apart the logic of it fairly easily. Um, but I will try not to do that, even though I think it could be interesting. And it's one of those things where I wonder if I knew the more specific social commentary, if I would have less problem with that, because maybe it's all wrapped up in metaphor. Um, but as a person who really likes uh, the films of S. Craig Zoller, where you get um, a bunch of characters doing weird, quirky shit and learn about them and grow to like them and then realize at some point that they are all coming to some sort of horrifying, violent confrontation um, that is only heightened because you care so much about these people. I was on board with this. And um, speaking of S. Craig Zoller, Udo Kier is in this. He was in uh, Brawl in Cell Block 99. And so, yeah, I, I feel like I was on the level for this movie, though I appreciated it more as like a cool, fun B-movie than perhaps it it is it is meant to be. And so I, like Bill, am looking forward to this conversation to hopefully get a little more out of it. But unlike Bill, I actually enjoyed this movie and would recommend it to people. And I think that that's the most that we can do without going into spoilers, probably. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Yeah. So if you were just here to figure out uh, what the movie is about and what we thought about it, <laughs> congratulations, you have gotten what you came for. Uh, you should leave now. If you are here for the spoiler section, get ready because this is it. Go home. <laughs> but they're probably already home, Bill. I know. Oh, that's that's the joke. <laughs> All right. Uh, Michael Snydell, I'm curious. What are the What's the 20% that you didn't like? <clears throat> I think everything in English is pretty bad. I mean, uh, to me, poorly acted, poorly scripted. Poorly... I, I think it's no. I I think that everything in Baccarat is wonderfully textured. I think that this is a film that works on an allegorical and a visceral level. I think that the things involving Americans it feels underwritten and stilted to me and awkward. I, the the thing that I've seen from some people, I want to mention this uh, real quick. So I, I will say that my context to this film um, mostly comes from a critic I really, I really like named uh, Felipe Furtado, who is a Brazilian writer and was super helpful in – and making me understand a vague understanding of Brazilian culture. And you um, sent that so, on, on the Slack, right? Yeah. Yeah, I have not had a chance a to read it. It's a very involved essay, but it's, uh, it's really interesting. But the thing I wanted to mention real quick, and I don't know if this fully gets at my point, but he uh, specifically talked about how he felt that the American uh, hunter scenes 
are otherized in the way that American European cinema usually does with foreign people. Um, and that all of those, you know, special ops soldiers, correctional officers, assorted uh, psychopaths, you know, are meant to be nothing more than cannon fodder. And I, I like that as an idea, but I just think this movie suffers based on the strength of everything else. Um, I've watched this film twice and I'll say that I was a lot more mixed on it this first time, the first time. And the second time, like I was amazed how I realized how instructive the sound design in this movie is like the way that it is constantly reminding you that it's playing with different traditions from, um, from not only American siege Westerns, things like real Bravo and, um, down to the point where literally you get like a night where the the uh, sorry where the community is coming together before like a final battle. The way that uh, they have two people scouting ahead to this city, like it's kind of a I, I'm embarrassed that I didn't realize how much of a western this was until the second time. And um, yeah, I. It was very interesting because the first time I very much felt like it was a social realist film uh, in that first hour. And then once it switches modes into Carpenter's the big thing people have said, but like even Carpenter doesn't feel this brutal for every action scene. Like the the Carpenter touchstone I would do is the scene in Assault on Precinct 13 where – um a uh, a terrorist in an ice cream truck mows down a child and it's like a horrifying devastating scene and that's like every scene of violence in this movie um and so yeah i i, I am like continually impressed the more i think about this movie i just can't i can't understand what they're trying to do with some of the American dialogue and I understand, I like the idea for instance, that they even other like the rich Brazilians in that scene. But I just, something about that dialogue just felt so flat to me, even as I found the whole idea so powerful. So it's like, I'm, I'm having just such a conflicted reaction to this movie. Cause I like so much of it. Um, <laughs> You just but don't I, usually see Americans portrayed in that light. But I'm, but that should be fine. Like Monica, I totally <clears throat> get. Like it should be totally fine that the Americans are badly written or something. But like the rest of it feels so textured to me, and like well written that it does stick up, stick out like a sore thumb in a weird way. So I'm curious where you, what you guys. I, I don't mean to only focus on the Americans, but yeah, no, but that's clearly where their your twenty percent problem uh, lies, uh, or at least a good portion of it. I think for me, the movie that I connected it with the most was um, Seven Samurai. Sure. So in that movie, you don't get the other guys at all. So if anything, I yeah. thought that this is doing a good job of actually contextualizing why just random Americans are bad, and kind of looking at the sort of 
um, imperialistic and colonialist violence of what's been done to Brazil by American companies, all of the violence, all of the, you know, things that have gone on in the Amazon and just the abuses for decades and decades, if not centuries, um, just to, you know, kind of put a B-movie twist on it was, I thought, really, really smart for them. And the fact that they kind of sound like uh, rejects from an action movie <laughs> kind, of, kind of made me think, like, what what are the movies that we put out there? And some of them are not great. They're just, you know, whatever. And that's sure. what may end up on the streets of Brazil. And that's what people watch. And that's what they think is American cinema. See, that was what kind of was my huh. problem. I feel like I just really butchered that sentence. Um, I I didn't care that they were awful so much, but it did make me wonder. Like, I, I've talked before about how sometimes I wonder when I see a foreign film if I'm missing something by not speaking the language. And I, I think, honestly, we talked about um, a movie once. It was called... Oh wow! Ashes purest white might be the last one that we no. spoke about because that's about globalization so there, to an extent as well. So there was a movie that was like a French diehard in a nightclub. Yes, yeah, you, you're talking about um, like the, the one night. that the one that got remade by Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx um, yes. Yes. It's called Sleepless Night. Sleepless and, Night. Uh, yeah, excellent, <laughs> excellent. Yeah, it, it, uh, I don't, I don't mean to steal it, Brian, but yeah, excellent foreign language film. Uh, badass action, like great setup, uh, awesome execution. And then, yeah, come to find out French people fucking hate the movie. And yeah, <laughs> everybody in America is like, wait, like we we like this movie. And, and all they're the like, French they're people like, are no. like, oh, the acting is awful. Like the dialogue yeah. is terrible. And I'm like, I don't know, between the subtitles and just the guy screaming, I thought it was perfect. Yeah. So when I see yeah. a movie like this where suddenly it dips into like, now here's some Americans talking and the dialogue is bad and the acting is pretty horrendous. And like they're still doing some of the quirky stuff that we could see in the town of Baccarat. And sure. suddenly my brain is just like, oh, have you been tricked? Like by the like by some internalized exoticism of like, oh, like, you know, it's it's fine that these people seem a slightly off in the town because they're different and that's just how they are. And like, am I suddenly like having the veil lifted by seeing stuff in um in English and, and hearing it and going, wow, that sounds really discordant. And I don't know how I feel about this acting. Um, so that, yeah, that was part of that for me, but I, I, I just, again, chalked it up to be like, well, it's, it seems like it's got a kind of grindhousey B movie thing. So even if that's true, I don't think that discounts how much I'm enjoying everything else. And I kind of dig the kitsch. Yeah. I totally dig the kitsch. Yeah. Yeah, like the like the they they like shoot up a car and then the woman is like we should fuck and then the UFO is watching them and I'm like this is so stupid I love it like <laughs> yeah. I don't know if the movie is stupid or this woman is stupid or what but I'm just on board and there is you know the the universal language of cinema it's shot in a way where I'm like I feel like I'm getting out of this yeah. what I am supposed to be getting out of this mm-hmm. I yes I definitely. love the way this uses so many wipes and split diopters or, oh yes sorry. Split diopters. Why does that sound so weird? <laughs> you say no, you're saying words. it right. <laughs> you're doing it right. Yeah. You just sound like an asshole when you say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> this is fair. So, like, I guess Monica, to bring that directly to you, so that like that flatness you very much saw as an intentional thing. 
Oh, it was totally intentional because the villagers all have these deep traits, these backstories. And then these are almost like cardboard cutouts. They're like the fake cowboys on a set. Mm -hmm. But I think it's so weird because even like Udo Kier is usually so charismatic to me. Like even as like a, it's just a monster. (laughs) He's been so charismatic and things. And I just was, I would... I just was dying to get back to Bakaru like every time we saw them. I almost wish they did the Seven Samurai thing. And it's not like I wanted them to be real characters or anything. It's just right, like, like you don't have to bring in, in Michael Fassbender like, and, you know, Monahan to do a rewrite, you know, just and I, I, <laughs> I like some of the weird. I like some of the weird touches, um, you know, like I kind of love um, their constant dismissal of this town you know and like against all things that they should be worried from like literally the two people scouting and they immediately think uh like they're like what what are bakaru people called and the kids just like they're people and and they assume that the name refers to some like you know like uh, stereotype of uh, of like uh sorry i can't remember exactly what it is but it's actually a bird that's a hunter it like hunts at night over and over yes exactly over and over they subvert these in such great ways and i love you know the the scene with the the nudist botanist <laughs> like like that's yeah. a that's a great scene too like i i actually think all those later scenes are great i just don't understand other than the main scene where I think, you know, they kill the two, they seem like middle class. I don't even know if I'd even call them upper class, middle class Brazilians. I just don't understand why we even spend a scene or two more with them. Like, I I guess that's the thing. I mean, those two characters are really important about the whole sort of class distinction within Brazil and how kind of city folks look out at country folks, the way that white passing Brazilians look at Brazilians who are darker skinned, like that, mm-hmm. those characters without saying as much represent a ton. So the fact that they try to sell out this poor rundown village yes. uh, and, and try to appease the, the white colonizers, essentially, that's, and the white colonizers kill them anyways, because they still see them as others. Sure. Yeah, so that, that's that, that whole horrific. conversation about yeah the, the the people who buy into that sort of system to try and exploit their neighbor then you know kind of get what's theirs because yeah. the system doesn't see them as different. Now the the only this is this is the hmm, how do I say this in the the best way possible? I think that um I I miss like I keep saying I I think I'm missing a lot of essential context for this movie in terms of um its its locality it did strike me as um a little strange that the the white americans who are coming there seem to have such a firm distaste for these people when to the best of my knowledge most white racists in america don't think about brazil so like uh, it, it almost felt like maybe like not, maybe not specifically, but like I can I can tell you that racists just hate anyone south of the border. I mean that's true, but like, I, it's, I, it's I, just a very broad brush. Not anyone specific. It's just they kind of hate them down down the line. 
Yeah, I, sure. but I, it's weird because I often think about like, I think about that, like, you know, a friend of mine who, or not a friend of mine, a friend of mine who was uh, Salvadoran would oh. constantly say like, it's so weird how often I get called a Mexican. And I was like, is it weird? Like from racists, is it really that weird? Right. But um, I don't know. There was just a part of me that was like, uh, and I understand that it's it's made um, by creators from that country. Um, I just, There was a part of me that was like, I wonder if like there was an American remake of this for whatever reason, if they would situate it like in perhaps like Mexico, just because there's like a little more of a, an immediate kind of thing. But then maybe that is like what, what we're saying about how these American characters are drawn. And like you just said, like maybe it is like, Hey, anyone South of the Rio Grande is good enough for us. Yeah. And I think that that critique is very pointed towards American because so many American companies, whether it be lumber, whether it be the fruit companies, a lot of banana companies who are really bad for this, mm-hmm. um, Ford Motor Company going in for the gum trees and things like that uh, killed countless indigenous people in the Amazon region. Um, mm-hmm. Those are still communities that have not recovered. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's just simple. And um, I understand and that is... Now, Oh, yeah. But that is the reason why, like, yeah, the Brazilians may feel a certain way about us. No, and, then, <laughs> and, and that the makes way sense. That I, I interpreted a, the, the way that I interpreted the UFO was specifically like that's a space invader. And mm-hmm. then these people were. the mm-hmm. Yeah. See, for, but for me, like a lot of that is like um, we talk about like corporatocracies and like, you know, that that kind of thing. And so it was weird to see. Horrible uh governmental and corporate malfeasance then filtered through the concept of like these individual simplistic not simplistic um it's weird to me that one of these guys is a correctional officer when everything that we've described could best be encapsulated by having like a rich ford motors executive there does that make more sense sure but i think and that also kind of ties into what Brazil is dealing with too because they have the corrupt politician as a kind of stand-in for that, oh, yeah. and uh, that's been really nicely um, kind of gathered up in um, Edge of Democracy, the documentary that's available on um, sort of the last couple of presidencies uh, in Brazil, uh, leading up to Bolsonaro, who's the now super conservative right-wing guy who says that uh, you know coronavirus doesn't kill brazilians and they'll say that on national television um but i think for that there's also been so many cases of police brutality uh while they were filming the uh while they were filming baccarat i know i talked to sonia braga and she had mentioned to me that she had met um and befriended i'm blanking on her name now but her last name's franco um mariel franco uh, she, she was someone who was kind of representing, um, a favela district and was like really trying to advocate for her people and, uh, police, she was killed, um, mysteriously and uh, now huge miscarriage of justice and, uh, no one has been arrested for her murder. Oh, uh, it's, yeah. So like all of this, you know, is also playing on in the background where, you know, the police can also not be trusted. And, you know, they also know about, you know, police brutality in the United States because that also makes our international news. Yeah. Sure. I think it's fascinating too, considering, uh, Monica, I believe we 
at, at some point, I think we talked about this on Twitter. You you saw Aquarius as well. I, I just want to make sure. Yes. Um. I, so like Aquarius, I think it's fascinating nonetheless, and this is related to what we're talking about. You know, Aquarius very much was, you know, about you know gentrification and the, you know this Brazilian architecture firm, you know, doing anything possible to evict this woman. So it, I, I do think nonetheless, it is fascinating to think about the context of these Brazilian filmmakers then making those um, those invaders mostly mostly American. I mean, you have, you know, the Brazilian or not not the he's the mayor of, you know, the closest municipality, mm-hmm. you know, an hour away or something. But yeah, Tony but then, Jr. in the movie. Yes. Thank you. Tony Jr. Um, <laughs> such a buffoon. Um, oh, he's, he's so well played. And then the indication that he's Tony Jr. just means like, oh, he was born into that position. Yes, it's such a good little note. <laughs> yes. It is. Uh, to speak of uh, Felipe's piece again, he actually mentioned that uh, that character it has the same political party as um, as uh, sorry. I lost it. Uh, it's the same political party as a uh, candidate who um, had no real ideology whatsoever. He was someone who was just totally on the fence, um, which goes into like there's apparently so many touches in this this movie. I I also feel like so much went over my head. But I guess uh, Monica, uh, I guess my main point is I don't think it's it's necessarily I mean, maybe it's just a rhythm thing for me because it, it's just it's so much of the early part of the film is is so fluid that when you come to that house and, it, you know, you do get that devastating scene where those two uh, middle class Brazilian people, you know, who have just sold out this small town and everything like that. Like, I, I just think that there is something. It. it it doesn't lose the metaphor for me, but again, it just it doesn't feel as as rich to me as the rest of the movie. I, as weird as that is, like I can understand, like it is very clear that like we have seen imperialist uh, versions of this story, and they're not being critiqued whatsoever. Like the entire action of watching this movie is like you feel kind of disgusted over and over like even the way each you know violent action is shot like it's it's not glamorized it's often you know like uh sorry it's often you know medium shots like there's no and if there's close-ups it's like here look at this body that's been completely mangled like it's it's fascinating to me that this there's just something that feels incongruent to me about it being Americans, which is not to say Americans are good and don't deserve <laughs> demonization. But like, I do wonder whether metaphorically this would have like, you know, coalesced for me in that final bit if it was, for instance, another like the rich Brazilians or something, which again is not to. Because, you know, as I understand it, there's a lot of class differences in Brazil anyway, and a lot of complicated. And colorism. Uh, yes. Yeah. I, so it's, uh, it, I mean, did you have any feelings about 
about uh, whether it was a little bit strange given, you know, their past film and interests that they decided to change to uh, change targets in a way. Um, not so much because they do have that aspect of, well, the government is corrupt and this is how it is corrupt and how it's, it's hand in hand with the outsiders, uh, the Americans coming mm. in, um, who just because they have the money to pay for play, uh, they're given free reign to wipe an entire city off of the map. Now you say that and that sounds ridiculous and horrible, sure. but that's what they let them do. So in a way, they're kind of pointing out like, yeah, that's what, you know, American companies, because they have the money, they can come in and they can wipe out communities. They can wipe out, you know, whoever they want and they can hurt Brazilian businesses and people living here. Uh, I think that was the point that they were trying to make. So even though I, I, I think the, the sort of move into the more genre space is, is sure. new for them. Um, but I really appreciated that. So, because I also got to enjoy it because I love Aquarius, but <laughs> I finished Aquarius and after the end of Aquarius, I'm like, it's one of those movies I don't want to revisit. Like, it just, it just hurt. It just made me so yeah. sad. And then just at the end, there's like, there's such a note of, there's a beautiful note of defeat, but it's, you know, you don't end on a, <laughs> on a feel good note. Sure. Um, yeah. And then this one, you know, here you had the town rally, the town was able to combat these outsiders and, it's this very sort of angry and violent uh, sort of push back and push out uh, that, you know, we haven't, we don't usually get to see. I, I love that line where uh, she says, uh, you think Lunga went too far. And she just says, no, like, no. like it's yeah. just a flat out. <laughs> and I, I think to, to bring it, to bring it back to the movie and get away from the, uh, get away from the, my, nitpicks i i think to this film the way that it ingrains the the sense of history i mean the whole scene in the museum the is museum just is masterful so yeah. but even but even before that i love the way how they even foreshadow that like they give you such a sense of or, or they foreshadow it again uh speaking to the two motorbike people you know when they first go to get a beer and a water, you know, they say, have you visited the museum? And they kind of just <laughs> dismiss it immediately. Yeah. Like it's. And th Meanwhile, that's, if they had gone there, guess... they might have known better. <laughs> An entire museum dedicated to almost this exact same thing. Right. All the times they pushed yes. outsiders away and fought back. Yeah. I love that that douchey guy tries to take a souvenir too, you know, like, <laughs> like here's here. I'm a murder tourist. I'm going to, I'm going to take something to remember my time, Yep. you know, shortly after he talks about how much, how he almost shot up a mall. <laughs> like, and it's funny. You mentioned that it kind of hit you more on a social realism level because there's, I think there were different moments in the beginning of the movie that like, kind of made me tune into the fact like oh this is somewhere in the near future this isn't real real this sure. is this is a you know heightened reality or you know a different kind of reality uh because i think um the main character teresa has like a some sort of a fancy phone or ipad or something that she looks yeah. at the the well, some of, of course, the equipment she's part in of the, a documentary the film crew oh right yeah. <laughs> 
fellow doctor slash documentarian. Um, she's not. But uh, the, some of the technology in the classroom as well is also very fancy. And it is all sure. 3D stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, this is different. Or the, the moment that when she greets her dad and he gives her something on her to, to have um, some sort of a drug. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, so this is different. Because uh, as far as I know, that doesn't usually happen. <laughs> well, I think... Like, I, I want to, I, I, I guess, yeah, social realist, I guess, is a little bit of a distortion. I, I guess what I, I'm rather saying is I think the sense of community is so built here without mm-hmm. focusing on a particular, like, class issue or, like, a particular thing. Like, I think even, like, the little things, like, for instance, when Sandra comes back from, um, you know, being prostituted with, uh, mm-hmm. with the mayor and, like, mm-hmm. People check in with her right away. Fucking Jr. Like, Jr. Yes. Uh, the, the fact where um, Mr. Um, sorry, uh, Mr. Plinio uh, talks about how in my family there have been scientists and doctors. And he's mm-hmm. going through all these things. And one of the last things he says is gigolos and whores. And, and so it's like it's very much. I, I just love the way that this continually keeps pushing back on these ideas as like. Oh, there is nothing like this is a yokel village. Any of those assumptions that you have, they're out the door immediately. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's what I meant in in terms of social realism and even, I, I mean, another heartbreaking scene where the the kids bring the flashlight into oh, the, yeah. the tall grass, which, oh, geez. The, the whole way that's choreographed is just, um, yeah, that was I, a, I found. That was yeah, a striking scene. I, yeah. <clears throat> that's actually one of the so like that's that's kind of where I drew um my comparison to to someone like S. Craig Zoller, where there's like just a lot of like rough, heartbreaking scenes. And then you get the moment in this movie when the uh the Americans are coming in and you see mm-hmm. all the the clothes that they've taken off the people who've already been killed, like hanging up almost yes. like a battle flag. And, and that's and when the child as well. Yeah. Where you and get then confirmation just, that, of course, it was a child. And you're just kind of like, oh, shit, it's about to get real. And this time the right people are going to get it. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that moment in a movie, especially, again, if a movie has taken a lot of time to, like, build up characters who are interesting and complex. Right. I almost wish that the Americans had been a little more um real just because i think i would have enjoyed watching them die more (laughs) um you know as they are they're like kind of cartoonish and so like i don't get to feel like the the raw thrill of like i don't know like watching certain people die in certain other movies which maybe is the point because like maybe you're not supposed to take that much pleasure in it but it was just so great every time that i saw one of these assholes getting set up to get got because i was just like yeah do it. So, so what is the role of udo in in this film he's like the because, safari uh, guy right he's the yeah but i mean for for the most part he's he's pretty easy to read he's he's straight down the middle he's helping these people kill this village and then Right at the end, it's almost like he just goes fucking crazy. He's just a and troll. <laughs> he, he, yeah, he, he's he's the Zoom troll. Like he just turns into the like he's just he's just fucking running wild while these people are trying to like murder a village, and he's just like shooting random shit. 
and shooting them in the back and shooting random shit. And you're just like, what the fuck is this guy doing? I don't understand. Like he's got a giant sniper rifle and like a lot of these people are fairly well-versed in like ammunition and arms. And so every time they hear his gun go off, they're like, we hear you shooting, <laughs> like quit shooting at us. It like, seems we like at a certain point you. he like turned on his clients and he, he had that like yeah. waiter spitting in the suit moment, but he happened to have a gun. <laughs> you know? and this- yeah. It felt <laughs> but, like but, mercenary but- who, you know, once he had already, you know, he'd gotten the money or whatever. I assume that sure. they paid him for this. So mm-hmm. then he, there's no loyalty for him to really fight for them. Yeah, but uh, I mean, again, he doesn't. He doesn't really like seem to like go above and beyond in any any direction, right? He's, so if he's this were just... a Yelp review, you'd give him like two stars. <laughs> yeah, I'd give him two and a half. Yeah, I'd, I'd just be like, I couldn't tell if he was on my side or not. But like, that's what makes him dangerous. Yeah, and it, but but it is interesting because because like like I said, like he seemed so so easy to read for most of this movie. And then right at the very end, you're just like, I don't understand. Is this guy not on their team? Is he, is he on their team? And so, yeah, like I said, like, I think he only kills like one person and otherwise he's just like taking pot shots at random places or like. I I have not watched this movie since I saw it the first time when we were supposed to do this podcast. Three or four. But he also, it seemed to me as though he were under the influence of some kind of something like is that are we not to believe that that is so i i think he does drink something from from the woman yeah if i'm not mistaken from domingos that's sonia braga's character yeah who, so who he has that, like a very big confrontation with as well yeah that's a wonderful like showdown so good he's <laughs> so good in this movie generally i i would have wanted she's so good in this movie generally braga. no she's just ferocious in like four scenes and she's so good yeah like she gets these like she gets like three little like wonderful gestures like uh, the great one (laughs) where she threatens uh tony jr the the uh the 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 turn from her beginning where she's yelling at carmelita to Mm -hmm. um sorry to apology yeah, her apology, and I love how. Um, at least that Teresa is, is that right? Yes, Teresa's and Teresa was like, yeah. yeah, and she's like, oh, she's a sweetie when she's sober. <laughs> like, <laughs> she's so good at the, in this, and oh man, just when she puts the lab coat on too. See, guys, I really like this movie for the most. <laughs> you part. just wish that it wasn't uh-huh. Americans. <laughs> you felt attacked. It's, oh god! <laughs> I I have to say I took the Udo Kira moment we're talking about as just like fully underlining how much of a coward he is. Like not only is he a mass murderer, but he is someone with zero allegiance to anyone, and he was going to get his sport no matter whether it's you know whether it's anyone. And and I think that is even more yeah, perfect so, when he's like. Hell no, I don't kill women. Like, like his responses to everyone is just even more like, 
oh no, I'm just a bad person and I'm unpredictable for the sake of being unpredictable. <laughs> like that seriously <laughs> made sense to me. <laughs> so you you think you think part of it is he he looked down his sniper rifle, saw the village was fucking empty, and is just like, well, I got other people in front of me. Let me shoot them instead. <laughs> I, I think it was just yeah, really I wanted to kill someone today. Of that woman who's like, uh, you know, who uses her Tommy gun and decides to shoot the wall, which, which by the way, I, I love the reveal that everyone is right there, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. hunkered down. But that's that's what I I saw it as just the equivalent of that. <laughs> like it's obviously more sadistic. I think that I, just, my read was just like he didn't seem to like these people. One of them no. called him a Nazi. <laughs> And then he maybe got <laughs> drugged in some way and he was like, just like his latent hatred for them by the power of whatever hallucinogen he might have been under overcame his professionalism. And he, <laughs> he was just like, as though he were throwing paper balls at them and they were like, I know it's you. Stop it. He's like, what are you talking about, man? I swear I'm not doing it. <laughs> Except that the paper balls were like 30 caliber sniper rifle bullets. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I, I I am curious though. What did you guys make of like, I don't, I don't need a clear backstory, but I'm just curious. What was all of your interpretation of, uh, of, of Lunga? Like, it seems like to me that he left the town a while ago, kind of an outlaw in the sense of Pakote. Um, and just kind of hold up in a dam. So to my mind, it's like, you know, the town is quirky, but they're not like bad people, you know? And like, I think that he maybe was like, the world is fucked and I'm going to go and do something about it. And like, I'm going to, you know, take up arms and go to the Hills and like, who's coming with me. And the whole town was like, eh, no. (laughs) And so he's like out there and he's, he's, you know, robbing caravans or whatever. And um, he's like the the black sheep of the town. But then they're like, oh, man, like if only we had someone exactly like that guy who we (laughs) sort of turned our backs on. And he's like, so you people have finally come to realize that I was right. And they're like, you know, if we could just not talk about it, but you could still help us, that would be great. Mm -hmm. And he's uh, he's still a hometown boy. You know, he's still going to come back and, and help him out. Yeah, something along those lines. I thought what some of the stuff, most of the stuff, if not all of the stuff that he was doing was against Tony Jr. So it was causing the mm-hmm. town some trouble. And that's part of the reason why like, they don't have water and they have to rely on a water truck. And what yeah. you know, he was trying to do was help that, but it didn't end up or didn't ha- hadn't yet. Mm-hmm. I, I thought the other thing that was interesting is this interplay between, uh, you know, him and the and the other kind of town leader, right? Who apparently like sneaks off and goes and murders people while being filmed on on like a cell phone. Like, what what is going on with that? I thought he was a contract assassin. That was just kind of my guess, but. Like he I did, some, I, I, I think he used really to do. Cool. I think he used to do like gangland stuff in the city. Mm-hmm. But maybe he mm-hmm. came back, and that's why he's able to talk to uh, the people, the people of the dam, because they were just watching his greatest hits on that <laughs> truck screen. That truck <laughs> yeah. screen is so weird. It's like a giant casino I know thing. That truck. No, I love that truck, and I love that DJ. 
Yes. <laughs> just like blaring out all of the announcements like <laughs> Tony Jr. on his way. Alert, alert. <laughs> yeah. Monica, you called him a town crier in your yes. review. Yeah. <laughs> 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 wow. Okay. Okay. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's he's uh, he's a wild, wild character. It, it it does not seem like a stretch that that would actually be a DJ. So, <laughs> well, his name, I think his character name is actually like DJ Urso or something, which is D, which if I remember correctly, Urso means bear. Mm, nice. Oh, okay. That DJ bear. Yeah, I think. The where, school where? is called, uh, by the way, uh, uh, Wow Carpentario, I think, as well. So there's like a direct acknowledgement of John Carpenter's influence in this as well. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's even more stuff that um, I think the piece that Michael you linked to was a good... Um, breakdown of like some of the music cues like i know and appreciate yes. some of that but i may not know the full story about it and obviously all the cinema nouveau references they're there but if you don't know every you know the exact movies that they kind of uh coincide with that was a good you know kind of breakdown i think too another speaking of carpenter things the only carpenter music they do i love how they do it over you know, kind of a native dance. Like it's, it's the night before, um, like, I guess this is right before the scene where the kid gets gunned down, but like they're playing Carpenter synth music over them doing this, uh, this very specific dance that seems cultural, which I think is such a, such a cool reminder that this is like completely different modes that are clashing. Did did you guys not realize that was I did not know uh, Carpenter? No, oh, sorry. Oh no, I didn't know it was Carpenter. No, I uh, yeah. I someone like, there's, the deep also, there's also other electronic music kind of blended throughout. So mm -hmm. yeah, I, I love that guitarist who does the dirty ballads. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. I don't even remember that. Yes. He's one of the town folks. One so, of 80. so much has happened. <laughs> I think, yeah, it, it, it's it's when it's when the two other Brazilians come in at first, and he basically like just is serenading slash like uh, kind of taunting them the entire oh, time, yeah, yeah. following that, yeah. them around with the guitar. And they offer him money. <laughs> He's like, I don't want your money. Money. <laughs> yeah. I do this for fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a Wall Street banker. Um Yeah. Um I uh I thought I had something else to say and it just fled my mind. <laughs> and thus I cannot recall what it is. What do we think the movie gains from it being in the future? Because I was wondering about that. Um, it's one of the, and again, it's one of those things where I wonder if it, if it's a, a a specific cultural earmark that I am simply not getting. I don't, not sure if it's culturally related. For me, 
it allowed them to kind of step aside from saying like, this is reality. This is something that's happened or this is something that could happen. This mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, a, a different reality. And this is what happens in that different reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it just gives them the, the freedom to start having these different characters and stuff like that. It's a, it's, uh, I think it's mostly a, a simple uh, sidestep of, yeah, of of what is current reality, like what is really true versus, hey, we're going to make up this kind of feud and some of these other things and, you know, an entire town that you've you know, never heard of and all of this other things. So I think I think it just sidesteps a lot of that kind of hassle. Um, it also gives them, you know, the ability to have different tech and stuff like that if they want to and uh all these other issues like they apparently can just start blocking the cell phone signal in this one particular town um stuff of that nature yeah they can wipe it off a satellite i mean i don't know there was it was just maybe this says something about me but none of none of the things that happened seemed like things that couldn't happen right now sure so like I and and for me it's it's almost weird because it's if it's in the future it's when I when I hear that or see that in a movie I'm always thinking like oh this is a projection of current trends in some kind of way and so for me it might have been even more impactful if they just said like nope this is immediate this is now like this is what's happening like well I think I don't think I, it I really think broke is... anything that it was in the future but I was curious if anyone felt that they gained anything from it being in the future. I think there's certain uh, those are I, I think they also just serve as like modern signifiers in the sense that it's further pushing back on these potential stereotypes that you uh, you bring to, you know, like, you know, a village in Brazil or something. I, I think by showing, you know, not only sequences like everyone taking pictures of the severed heads and, and things like that. Like, I think it does give it like an interesting, like contemporaneous, like dissonance. Um, like I, it to like have it again, be both modern, but also so classical in the same way that the filmmaking is doing that. Like, you know, you have those widescreen vistas like old Westerns, but you're also having, you know, editing that is a lot more, a lot more, you know, jagged and like interspersing and stuff. Like I, I, I think again, it just kind of mimics the, the form and, um, to speak again to kind of that allegorical quality, I swear I'm gonna have to give like Felipe a, like a featuring credit on this episode. <laughs> but um, he pointed out that they do mention it a few times that the church is used only for storage, which Felipe found very strange as he thought, or not very strange, but uh, thought further emphasized that it was allegorical because if it was realist religion would be a major part of this village which i think is a a fascinating i I don't i don't know if i necessarily can make anything without sounding like an idiot but um i i do think that was interesting that they did emphasize that a few times in the dialogue and someone thinks the church is actually closed and they until they tell them it's just for storage 
Yeah, that was a funny note. And it's actually, I guess, kind of a clever way to sidestep having to deal with religion. Just make them all atheists. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting that we, we that we I was gonna say it's almost more like the town is such a cohesive unit that they don't even need the church because like they're all there for the funeral, which clearly yeah. to me had some religious rights to it. Um the the taking of the hallucinogen seemed almost sacramental. Yeah, sure. So I wonder if it's like we don't need the church because this whole town is our church. Like we don't need to gather somewhere. Like we do it all the time anyway. Yeah. So it's almost our like their are our legacy, right? It's almost as though their 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 religion or whatever form it may take has transcended the need for a specific meeting place. It's almost like a, a platonic oh. ideal of like a religious society where mm. you don't have to have any kind of meetings or, or anything like that because you all just inherently understand that you were all in the same place spiritually it's know. even weirder it's... than that this film could then be called dystopian but some of the community is weirdly utopian <laughs> like it's it's even or maybe utopians too far but I mean, it's uh, a weird place you know, but everyone seems pretty nice to each other no, no right. it only gets dystopian when you know invaders come in right, and sure, they have to call sure. back the parts that they have like benignly separated to help defend them I just don't want to fetishize this village, which also seems like, you know, it, it has difficulty with being able to get food in the sense that yes, you they know, have to have a whole truck of water brought in. I mean, like there's yeah, there's yeah. there's infrastructure issues for sure, but it's yeah. not. But the, the hardships of these people are not a function of their corruption or laziness or, or you know, spiritual rot or whatever you want to call it. It's almost huh. all they've they've been seemingly incredibly let down by their government. <laughs> Who would have thought Tony Jr. <laughs> not, Who would have done that? Not one to spend on infrastructure improvements. <laughs> that rem that reminds me, I love when he comes and the door is open and there's six like you know, like pleather seats with, with a water. bottle of water on each one. <laughs> What did he think he was going to come into? Just everyone dead in the yeah. six? Yeah, tourists? they had all the coffins out. Yeah, man, they they were fucking they they that was this was like a fully expected government sanctioned slaughter. Um, yeah, there was not enough coffins. Just saying. <laughs> I mean, maybe I don't. You know, who knows? Maybe they had more coffins right. coming in. I my I guess my only this is a logistical concern that maybe the uh, murder tourist company would want to think of. <laughs> Don't let people randomly murder people for three days before you finally go in to do things, because it really does give the town a long time to figure out what's going on and mount a defense. <laughs> yeah, they made it sound like, you know, they were so smart with their operations. And even that one guy is like, why are we waiting in a farmhouse? Like, you know, they, they make it like sound like they're so system? strategic with everything. Yeah. <laughs> It was really weird for because uh, I I I was I was like oh man it's gonna be like this this shit's about to go down and then they're like we did it we killed one person and we're back and I got the kill because I would like delivered the final shot and I was like what are you doing <laughs> like this is a terrible business plan get a it's different like a, hobby you it's asshole. like if you were gonna rob a bank and for the first like three days before the big heist you went in and like stole all the pens and like. <laughs> 
<laughs> like you know pickpocketed a shit ton of people and you're like now tomorrow we go for the vault it's like you mean after we've already done so much stuff to them that they're definitely going to be on the lookout <laughs> but i mean you know i it, it it also is the type of thing where it's like they they it kind of sells the arrogance of these people to be like well we've cut them off from their 3g and uh we're you know they're a bunch of dumb idiots and we're so cool and we've got guns and you know yeah they can signal for help yeah but at the same uh, it, y'all are winning me over <laughs> <laughs> again you started off at only 20 percent is not good you know and uh, but I bill is the one who is like i'm not here for this so bill have we helped you at all is this <laughs> Absolutely. No. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's mostly why I've been as quiet as I have been is because I've just kind of been soaking in what, what y'all have been talking about. Um, not everything I necessarily agree with, but, uh, no, I, I think, I think y'all are touching on a lot of things that, um, you know, I, I think, I think I'm, I'm with Brian in a lot of ways where I'm missing a lot of the information just simply from, from sheer ignorance of, of what is going on in, in Brazil and, and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, dare you call me ignorant, Bill. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think I only claimed myself was sheer ignorance. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely helped. Uh, I would say, um, it's also made me reflect on how much, silliness is set up early on and how much it's it's kind of followed through uh throughout the film so you know um i i i will mention that uh i i did have an interesting uh experience with this film uh and i don't think it's putting anyone on the spot for it but uh i started watching this uh, on a screener link and for the first 10 to 15 minutes, it was about 10 minutes. I got 10 minutes into this. Turns out I was actually watching a behind the scenes making <laughs> of, <laughs> which was an hour. And I, like, I, I kind of paused it. I was like, I really don't know what the fuck is going on in this movie. I don't know if, if I'm supposed to see, because what they kept doing was they kept showing scenes from the movie and then pulling back and seeing the cameraman and seeing all the actors, like having lines of dialogue and like rehearsing. And I was just like, this is really fucking strange. It, it, <laughs> at some point, like this is going to be a faux reality where like, you know, there, what is it? Uh, what we do in the shadows or the office or something like that, where all of a sudden the people documentary are, crew. I was going to yeah. say, yeah. Is, is, it, is it possible <laughs> that the documentary crew synopsis I saw was someone else who only saw the behind the scenes thing? <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think that that would have uh, gotten around to be honest with you, but yeah, I started watching it and the first thing I, I noticed of the screener was that it was only an hour. And I was like, Oh, prayer hands emoji an hour. And then I got about 10 minutes in and I was like, Jordan, are there supposed to be subtitles? Cause there's no subtitles in this. I don't know okay. what the fuck is going on. And he was just like, Oh, you got the behind the scenes stuff. That that's a mistake. Oh, here, here's the right link. And I was just like, okay, so, I was losing my fucking mind. So okay, <laughs> I I just googled it because we've made so many jokes about this now. 
Yeah. I so if you just Google Baccarat, mm-hmm. it says yeah, you know Baccarat year. 2019 Western drama, two hours and twelve minutes. Um, and then if you scroll down on the little sidebar where it gives the synopsis, it says. A filmmaker decides to travel to a village in the interior of Brazil to make a documentary. As days go by, he begins to discover that the locals are not exactly what they appear to be and hide dangerous secrets. Oh, no. That's not IMDb? No, that's Google. That's the Google synopsis. I don't know where they pull from. I don't either. Or how to tell people that it's wrong. Yeah. Oh, thank that... goodness there's other people who are saying the Google description is very misleading. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's huh. it's not it's not misleading. It's fucking wrong. <laughs> it's all bad. I do not know what on earth like where did that come from? Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm now not looking up whether the sacrament taste takes place in Brazil, I don't think it does. <laughs> <laughs> Hallucinogenic sacrament. <laughs> I mean, that's what I, I, I don't know. <laughs> but it's that's... not usual. <laughs> okay, so that's, this is... that's super weird. So, okay, I, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. Um, I I clipped the first sentence of that summary and put it in quotes and Googled it to see where it appears on the internet. Okay. So I'm... It looks put, like... Put them on blast. Yeah. It, visit Rhode Island? <laughs> dot com? There's a back crowd in Rhode Island? <laughs> it's It says... The event has passed. I guess they at some point oh, had a screening. Meaning. But they used... The Google description. The Google description. <laughs> so I am going to spend the rest of the night. I'm not going to do it live on air, even though that would be hilarious. I see you tempted. <laughs> yeah, to uh, to try to figure this out, and I will tweet it out whenever I figure out what it is. Um, Get to the bottom of this. I'll fucking figure it out if it kills me. Um, uh, it's Brian, just... a bad joke right now. <laughs> <laughs> True. All right. So. Uh, any final thoughts on Baccarat before we say goodnight? This movie made me very thirsty. Because of the water or because uh-huh. of the cashew milk? I, I want to know what cashew milk tastes like. Like almond you milk never had cashew milk? Yeah, it's it's pretty good. Yeah. I'm sure I'm sure their cashew milk probably tastes nothing like the cashew milk I've tasted. Probably better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, no, I've had almond milk, but cashew milk, that sounds that sounds good. Why are you saying it like that? What, what, what am I saying? I'm like, cashew? Yes. Cashew. You, it's cashew. I, I, want, I want to say bless you every time you, you say that. <laughs> what, cashew milk? No, no. I am <laughs> furious. This I reminds me furious. of the Family Guy episode now. No, Wait, what's, what's wrong with how I say cashew? <laughs> I don't want to know if you're doing this on purpose or not. I just want (laughs) to believe that you're incapable of dictating how you pronounce the word cashew. What what about cashew? No, cashew? We're done. This is it, right? (laughs) Yes. Dear God. Um, Well done. Yes. uh, Perfect episode. So glad that we ended the way it did. (laughs) Um, I cashew milk. (laughs) 
Uh, cash you outside? I'm, Is that what's I'm happening? It. Yeah, cash you later. <laughs> cash you later. <laughs> oh, Mine boy. wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to think if there are any like nut-based puns I could make, and I am too tired mm. to come up with puns. So what does that tell you? <laughs> Let me remind everyone uh, that we are brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. Presently, they have uh, Southland Tales. So check that Ooh. out. Um, you have 30 days to watch and you can get a free 30 day subscription by going to mubi.com slash film stage. Also, don't forget to go to patreon.com slash the film stage show to give us your money. If you are so inclined, uh, go to schmidtspirits.com. There you'll find a link to give to the GoFundMe that I am doing to help give hand sanitizer to my community. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's it for all that stuff. Um, Monica, thank you so much for joining us again. Yes. Thank you for having me again. Um, now is the time when we, uh, do our plugs and tell people where we can be found online. So why don't we begin with our guest? Sure thing. You can find me on Twitter and now on Patreon at MCasty Movies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I Movies. All right. Monica, where was that Sonia Braga interview as well? I'd I'd love to read that. Oh, NBC News. It was so lovely. That's the good times. NBC News. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, and well yeah we should have talked about sonia braga more but she's she's lovely and um yeah she's actually really really political so she just loves doing all these political movies and has so much to say about brazilian and american politics yeah that's sounds amazing <laughs> yeah. she has a ferocity in this movie that makes that the least surprising and most amazing thing I would all say. <laughs> and um, she's so good in aquarius and yeah. she's oh my god and we will have to uh, tweet out a link to that when uh, this this episode posts. Yeah, absolutely. Bill Graham. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG, and you can find me trying to desperately catch back up on everything that's happened in the Slack channel over the last week or so. Um, I have not been keeping up, but I, I see all the alerts on there. I'm just like, oh, shit. Whoops. <laughs> Yeah, we are on the fifth movie of the uh, Slack Watch already. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, a thing that I was super excited to take part in and have not watched a single fucking movie. <laughs> Same here. Same here. <laughs> One of these times. Um, Michael Snydell, so what good. about yourself? Oh, uh, what about myself? Um, I don't know if I'm going to be writing, but I, I will say I just uh, published a review at the spool for Coffee and Kareem, which is easily the worst movie I've seen this year. It is terrible title. abominable. Th- that is the character's name, James Coffee. But like, they, you know they 100% worked backwards from that title. Would you believe that Ed Helms plays a put-upon police officer who teams up with a fifth grader? A put Ed Helms playing someone who's put-upon? <laughs> <laughs> Talk about stretching your goddamn acting chops. Has anyone here seen the movie Stretch? Yes. Yeah. No. He's that that movie's actually he's great in it because he plays the ghost or like the psychic mm-hmm. projection of a guy thinking about the ghost of like the world's best limo driver who committed suicide. Ed, and that, Ed like, Helms? Yeah, Ed Helms plays him. The ghost. Yeah, this this is the same guy that directed uh The Grey, right? Yeah. It, it Car- was like Carnahan? Yeah. Yeah, Carnahan. Not a great movie, but the like just for the just for the Ed Helm scene where they explain his presence alone, it's kind of worth it. 
Um, so yep. yeah, that's over at the spool. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I haven't written a pan in a while. I, I was, this movie made me angry. So <laughs> yeah, you wanted to write you wanted to write a pan for the way back, but you couldn't deny the glory <laughs> that is uh, drunk, sad Ben Affleck. It's it's good. It's not anything amazing, right? <laughs> Whatever. Um, as for myself, you can find my uh, writing and my stuff at my personal site, brianjrowan.com. On every social media, I am at Brian J. Rowan. Um, except for TikTok. Who knows? Maybe one day I'll go there. At Brian J. Rowan myself. Some asshole who's listening to this is totally going to go on there. and be t- I'm just going to have to go and sit on that name now that I've said that joke. Um... Don't forget to go to SchmidtSpirits.com. If you're in the D.C., Washington area, uh, you know, uh, we do online ordering now. So come and buy some alcohol from us because we're a small business in danger of collapse. Do you still need donations as well, Brian? Yes. Um, As I said previously, you can go to SchmidtSpirits.com and there is a link to donate to our uh, fundraiser to help us produce a special batch of hand sanitizer just to give out to people in need in our community. Again, that is Schmidt, S-H-M-I-D-T, spirits.com. And, uh, Does it smell like bourbon? It doesn't smell like bourbon. It has a slight hint of rye, maybe. Ooh. <laughs> Sophisticated. <laughs> this, is, this is what we need Everyone in our just time suddenly of got really interested in my hand sanitizer. <laughs> <laughs> You're telling me I can be safe from the coronavirus and have the aroma of a barrel of whiskey? My, my. <laughs> I have uh, some hand sanitizer that uh, smells like a mojito for some reason. So, it not, might, it not could for some. Not it's not a mystery. It says mojito, uh, <laughs> like scented hand sanitizer. But yeah, it's, I didn't it's realize just like, that really? mojito okay. was an in demand aroma. Maybe yeah. don't be driving when you're wearing either. <laughs> <of them. laughs> so, I definitely in my car. That, I, that, yeah, now that you say that, okay. If I ever get pulled over after a day at the distillery, it will be one of those things where it's just like, hey, I don't know what to tell you, officer. I am stone sober, but I do literally work in a distillery. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's, I've already had to restart the song that I played at the end because we'd come to the end because we just keep talking. So we really got to wrap this up. Um, and of course, you can find every episode of this podcast at uh, thefilmstage.com. Uh, Michael, what are we talking about next week? Do we know yet? <laughs> I don't know. This is your job. We have some classic episodes lined up. There's also, oh my God, I don't have it in front of me. Never, maybe, always, sometimes. sometimes rarely, <laughs> no. Never, rarely, Never, sometimes, rarely, always. Always. Yes. Okay. It's a progression. Yeah, that, that's it's on VOD now. Yeah, I'm dying to see that's, it, but... That's that's a hell of a SEO thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, the name was not was. Um, What was I going to say? Uh, we also got to do uh, that thing you do at some point. Yes. 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 So look forward, to, uh, look forward to us figuring out what the hell we're going to talk about next week. And um, follow us on Twitter to uh, to find out. We will probably maybe announce it. I'm just saying people have recommended insane things. So you guys ask for them, you'll probably get them. We're going to goddamn do them. All right, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next time.